Man, just let me know if you've already been blessed this morning. Praise the Lord. Worship team, thank you so much. Those of you who shared your testimonies, thank you so much. Uh, I know those testimonies have inspired and encouraged us here today. And your testimony is uniquely yours. Uh, Nobody's testimony is greater or any less than anyone else's. Your story is your story of how God has revealed himself to you and how he's moved in your life and shown himself faithful to you. And that matters. However it's manifested, however it's happened, that matters. And that story is life to someone. Amen? So never be afraid, never be timid or shy to share your testimony because it is a testimony of the reality and the power and the goodness of God. It's part of the gospel message. Praise the Lord. Uh, I better get going here. Uh, please join me in a brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for ministering to our hearts uh, powerfully uh, already, Lord, and we trust that you will continue to do so through your word. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we're, I'm continuing with the general therm, uh, a theme at the beginning of this year, New Year, same mission. You know, the mission of Christ is the same every year. In the past two weeks, I've preached on the fact that uh, the DNA of Christ Jesus is at the core of our mission and our values. But this week, I want to talk a little bit about what that would look like visually. So the title, the subtitle for today's mission, New Year's Same Mission, but Vision for Our Future. Vision for Our Future. Uh, a verse that talks about vision is found in Habakkuk chapter 2. And I'll read the uh, second and third verses. Those of you who have been with us so far this month in Wednesdays in the Word Bible study, you'll know that we've been going through Habakkuk. And uh, it's, been, uh, it's been a really enriching experience for us, uh, doing a deep dive there. And uh, I would encourage any of you who haven't come, if you have the time on uh, Mondays, uh, 6 to 8, we honor our time there. We don't run long. Uh, and uh, it is open. Everyone's in, encouraged to participate, give your perspective. And uh, it's interactive when we go through the word and God brings out such revelation. I'm sure you'll be edified. Uh, we would love for you to join us. But Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. For it will surely come, it will not delay. 
See, a church can have mission and values, but vision helps us imagine what those values and that mission would look like. And I look forward to a day when I see things, see this church operating in ways that I know God's called us to operate. Right? I see growth in ways that I know God wants to provide here. And so it excites me for tomorrow. And going into Habakkuk chapter 2 here, this is not, (laughs) if you read this and you're familiar with it, uh, this vision that it's talking about is not something that that would make you cheer and be excited about. It's the coming judgment of the people of God because they've been disobedient. Generation after generation after generation. And God speaks to Habakkuk, and he tells him he's going to judge the people. Let me back up a little bit. Habakkuk looks out over the land, sees sin rampant in the place of God, amongst the people of God, and he wonders, God, when are you going to do something? Why haven't you acted? And God says, I'm going to act. As a matter of fact, I'm going to take those people out of Babylon and I'm going to raise them up and they're going to be my tool of correction. That was Habakkuk's first complaint and God's first response. And then the man of God who wanted God to do something amazing, wanted God to correct the wrong in society, after hearing God's answer, he's like, whoa, whoa. I wasn't thinking about you doing all that. I wanted you to change the people, but I don't understand how a holy God can take a vile and evil people and use them as a tool of correction against people more righteous than them. And then, that's what gets us here in the verses that, God then replied to him. He said, oh, okay, no, yeah, I'm going to do that, but don't, don't, don't get it wrong. I'm going to deal with them too. And you won't stay in a perpetual state of correction. You will survive the correction. You will end up in a better state than you were that brought on the correction. My correction isn't so that you would perish. My correction isn't to shame you or or leave you destitute. The correction is to get you lined back up with me so that you can flow in the blessing and favor and provision of God again. And those people, while I use them as a tool of correction, I will deal with them and their evil ways. They will not escape. God is not mocked. And so he told him, I'm not doing this now. There is an appointed time when I'm going to raise Babylon up and they're going to do this. And and, uh, the people of God are going to suffer at their hand. I want you to tell them ahead of time so that when it happens, they will know there's purpose in it. They will know that God raised them up to do what is being done. And they will know why God allowed them 
to do what they've done or do what they do even to the people of God. But even in the midst of this, I'm still God. I'm still faithful. I'm still their deliverer. I'm still their source and sustainer. They just have to, they will look to me in the midst of that and I will still answer. And so he says, before that time comes, write the vision down so that he who reads it can run with it. There is a biblical application or biblical principle there that applies regardless of the situation. Guess what? That that prophetic vision came to pass. And the fact that it was written down and made plain so that anyone who can read it can run with it, they were able to see it in its proper perspective when it happened and it produced repentance and them getting right with God. See, vision can focus us in a way that lack of vision cannot. Vision can give us perspective where lack of vision cannot. Are you hearing me? From a church perspective or from the Christian perspective, vision can be said to be the ability to clearly see and articulate what God, where God wants us to go and what he wants us to do going forward. Why does God have New Covenant Fellowship in existence? Why does he have New Covenant Fellowship in Stillwater? What is our purpose here? What it is that we are to do? Some of that has yet to be revealed. And some of that we know, you know? And so what direction would he have us to go? So uh, before I get into it for New Covenant Fellowship, I believe that vision calls and summons or pulls people forward towards something. It energizes and inspires. It's something larger than us. that calls us to engage in something that can only happen in community, that can only happen if God be, if God be in it. It can only happen in corporate community as the people of faith band together to advance the mission of Christ. I'm going to use Jesus as an example. Jesus was a vision, visionary and a vision caster himself. Consider the scope of his vision in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. He says, it says, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's his vision. Go, therefore, 
and make disciples. Not of a nation, not of a couple nations, make, make disciples from all nations. I want this, this is a global vision. Go out and make disciples all over the world, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You know that vision is being carried out to this day. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I want you to hone in on that. For him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. according to the power at work within us. I just want to challenge us today. If we only think about doing that which we're comfortable with, then our vision is too small. More than likely, we're dealing with our vision for our lives when we need to be asking God for vision for what he wants us to do so that he can give us the vision for our lives. And guess what? That vision is going to always be beyond what you're capable of doing on your own. And we have to be willing to seek God for that. We have to be willing to accept that vision and we have to be willing to apply ourselves to it not look at ourselves and our lack or whatever it is we don't have, whatever our little flaws and stuff are, let's not look at those and tell ourselves we can't do what God wants us to do. Right? Because there's a power at work within us that more than makes up for the difference. Right? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. He's able to do far more abundantly all than we can ask for or think. According to the power at work with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that as you, that as you ascended, you, the, you sent the Holy Spirit down. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into all truth. Convicts us what we need to repent. The Holy Spirit... The, is, the, is that dunamis power. I don't need to be strong. Because I'm strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I don't need to bench press 300 pounds. I don't need to be able to squat 500 pounds. I don't need to bear the weight of the world on my shoulders because I know the one who already has. Right? And so there is nothing that you can't do in the Lord. The Lord's called you to it. We best say, yes, Lord. Roll up our sleeves and put our hands to the plow and get to doing in Jesus' name. 
Amen? Because he's more than enough. And when we do that, it is in the doing of that that he'll be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So let me just tell you a little bit about what I see for us going forward. Some of this you've heard before and some of this you may have not heard me say before, but allow me to cast a bit of vision for this wonderful church body. You know, we have Rooted going on now. Uh, praise God. Uh, uh, I intend to be talking, getting updates on people, but I've already heard it leak out. People talking about how amazing it is, right? As, uh, as the Underwoods are leading that, uh, uh, before church, uh, every Sunday, it's a 10-week commitment. So it's no small endeavor. But it is through ministries like that that I see this church maturing and multiplying as a church body. Maturing, growing as sons and daughters of God. I see this church body being a thriving, diverse, multicultural, multi-generational church family in which the truth of God's word is boldly proclaimed and lived out. That's what I see for this church body, right? And it's not, there's not the absence of it, but there comes a day when I want to see 100%. You know, I want it to be so evident, so tangible that it cannot be denied. It's not hiding or creeping along. It's out there. The truth of God's word is something we champion and cherish. If it's, if it's tainted in any way, oh, no, 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 no. We don't do that here. Are you hearing me? That's what I see. I see us being a church family where the agape love of God is genuinely expressed toward one another in a manner that proves we belong to Jesus. Not the way you want to love or the way I want to love or the way it's, it's, it's not a la carte love. It's the agape love of God as defined in the scripture, in God's word. John 13, verses 35 and 34 and 35 say, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, everybody say, by this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So I see this church being filled with people who love each other with the God kind of love. So that everyone, whether that, that everyone, how many is everyone? All people, whether they are believers or not, 
all people, whether they're members of this church or not, they can look at the way we love and say, hmm, you know, I don't know much scripture, but from what I know, those people are the real deal. If this church is doing that, it is a testimony. We gave testimonies this morning. That kind of love of one another is a testimony of Jesus Christ. It is a testimony of the salvation of the Lord. And and the change it can produce in us. Because the love of God is not a natural love. It calls us to love in a way that we're not predisposed to do. So if we if we are perfected in that, that in and of itself is a powerful testimony unto our God. And that can help people, help soften people's heart to receive him by faith. Are you hearing me? I'm telling y'all, I, 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 I see tomorrow already. <laughs> I see this. You know, I see this church being a place of fellowship where people, no matter where they came from, can be invited, accepted, loved, and discipled as followers of Jesus Christ. You don't have to fit a certain mold. Right? You could be confident. You could be awkward and shy. You could be pretty or handsome or ugly. It's a matter of perspective, right? I, the beholder, right? I'm not, no judgments here. You can be well-dressed or not. But you got to be dressed, though. Right? Notice I started off can be invited. You know, inviting people to church, inviting people to get to know Christ is not just something for the full-time ministry. Not, not, not just for the clergy. This is the, the body of Christ should be reproducing after its own kind. Right? And, and if we believe that God is operating here, then we ought to be excited to invite people to come encounter him here. You know, not, not just people that we think, you know, that look like they can contribute to the church coffers. Not just people that look good and look the part, but people who need to know Jesus. That's, why, that's, what, we're, that's what we're here for, right? So I see this being a church body filled with people who are inviting people in, who accept people where they're at, love them, and are willing to at least do your part to disciple them in Christ Jesus. I may not have it all figured out, but you can follow me as I follow Christ. There may be a time where I have to hand you off to somebody that's a little further along, but I'll give you what I got. Right? And so you're helping them grow 
And even if you're discipling someone, they're helping you grow. A place where people can grow spirit, soul, and body in a faith community that spurs one another on towards love and good works. That is what I envision. That's what I see. The, 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 the result of the, uh, the, the Christian DNA that is within us. If we enact these values, I see that producing such things. And where does that come from? Luke 14, starting at the 15th verse. That's why I included invited in. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who have been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant says, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled so you know i see us come going out into the highways and the byways and the hedges compelling people to come in so that the house of god may be full it doesn't matter if they're lame or blind or crippled have issues or whatever you know what he's their jesus too he died for them too and yeah, that'll bring needs and, 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 and you know, and there'll be some time burdens and all those things. You know what? Praise God. Tell you what else I see. I see young families populating this church again. And all of our children's church classes full every Sunday. So we can have more like the little Ruthie and these others up here that come up here and just worship freely in the Lord. That those who are faithfully serving in the children's church have classes full. I, I, I want them to be annoyed and irritated. Kids hanging all off of everything and, and we have to get more, serve, you know, more people serving in the children's church because it's more than what we got in there can handle. They may not want that, but I do. And not because I hate them. I just, I, you know, it's not, you know, I'm not wishing ill on them. You know, I, 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 those are good problems that you want to have. <clears throat> and you know why I want to see a, a thriving children's church that's full of kids and we have to figure out what we're going to do to get more room to accommodate children's churches because, you know, the Lord treasures the kids. 
He treasures us all. But Matthew 19, verses 13 to 15 say, Then children were brought to him that he might lay hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. That's why I want the children's church full. I, in the children, I, I want as they are going to children's church, I want the hand of God laid on them through the word, through the ministry of those children's church teachers as they are operating as God has gifted them in obedience to the Lord. The hand of God is on those kids' life, and he is laying his hands on them every Sunday. Amen? So we're going to do what we can to reach out and let young families know, look, you may have been told or may have been given the impression that you're too much of a burden for people, even churches, to want to undertake. That's not, that's not true of this church. We want you to come, bring your kids, we'll do the babysitting, we'll do whatever needs to be done to help you because you need, you need to grow and mature in the Lord as well. And as a former young, as a former young couple with family, uh, you know, with kids, without having family near, I know what it's like to need a support system and and not have one. But I also know what it's like to be a young family with kids and have an extended support system in your church family. To find community with another family who's in the same phase of life as you. And you figure out a way to help each other along in that. We, uh, the Ellis's and, and, and we did that. Now, their quiver was a little bit, little bit fuller than ours. They had five and we had four. And there was a chance that we could pull up and tie them. But once they had six, we told them, hey. <laughs> Y'all, y'all the champions. We're not, we're not going to go that far, right? <laughs> four, four is all we're going to do, you know? But we were same age. Our kids were the same age and so forth. Child care was so expensive. We're both were homeschooling families, and there wasn't as much available to you from a homeschooling perspective as there is now you know, 20, 25 years ago. I mean, you, you know, you really had to work at it, you know. And, you know, no disrespect to now, you still got to work at it. But there are more resources available to you now than there were back then. And, man, it's not as expensive as it is today, but child care was expensive back then. We just couldn't afford it. Once child number three came along, Christy and I were both working. We had already talked about it. We already had a vision for it. At some point, it was her heart to want to be able to stay home and teach our kids and not have to work uh, once we got to a certain point. And we had to make some sacrifices, but we committed to that. And it was a challenge. And there were times, because when we committed to that and became a single earner home, there's no way we're going to be able to afford 
you know, childcare and stuff like that. So we and the Ellis has worked out a deal to where we babysit each other's kids so that we could have date nights and we can do certain things. Because, you know, once you get to a certain number of kids, four and eight, it's not that big of a difference. You know, if you can handle four kids, you can handle six, eight, nine kids, right? So, so, and then the older ones can help out with the younger ones and everything. And, but, but we did a lot of these things that kind of helped us be able to step out of just the role of mom and dad and be husband and wife, you know, and date and, and, and dream and, <laughs> and visualize and hope for the future and different things that just being in the normal hustle and bustle of the day, we weren't able to do. And so church community can provide that even if your family is in other states. Uh, Brian alluded to this uh, earlier. He had no idea I was going to share on this, but I also see a church committed to ministering to the least of these in our community. That doesn't mean we're called to every one of them, but we already get that. With Steve Irby leading the ministry to the nursing home, every month, and those who so dutifully serve uh, in that capacity. Time is getting limited here, so uh, uh, instead of elaborating, I'm just going to read the words. Go to Matthew 25. Brian's already read it, so I'll just mostly read it and and briefly expound on it. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And so in our our service to the Lord should manifest itself in ministering to the least of these. As we commit ourselves to ministering to the quote-unquote least of these, We are ministering to the Lord. And so I see a church that is intentionally looking for opportunities to serve into and minister to the least of these. Whether, you know, feeding people, hey, whether it's a food pantry, I see it, or, or, or a, a, a food serving day, or we're boxing up foods and taking it to 
uh, the, uh, the sick and shut in or the elderly or whatever, I see, I see something like that materializing in this body where we're feeding the hungry uh, in this community. Maybe there's a jail ministry. There are people behind bars who, who need to know Jesus. And the legal system will handle whatever adjudication, it will handle whatever judgment of them that the law requires of them, but regardless of what they've done, Christ would have them know him. And he would have us to be his vessels to give them the opportunity to get to know him. So we ought to visit the sick and those who are in prison. Um, Leanne, I don't know if she's here today, but she has that ministry with the jackets and stuff, you know, that, that she would gather jackets for people to be able to be warm in the winter. You know, that qualifies as clothing, the naked. People who don't have the ability to afford clothes, getting them clothes to wear. So just, in other words, being intentional about making ourselves aware of the needs in the community and making ourselves available for God to use us to meet them. And I believe that as we actively apply ourselves to these ideals, I see transformational change occurring in people's lives. That's what I see. I see transformational change happening in our lives as we are vessels of honor for God to bring about transformational change in other people's lives. You can't be used of God to transform people's lives without yours being changed in the process. So I see transformational change occurring in people's lives. I see people repenting and coming to Christ in faith. I see people becoming true disciples of Jesus Christ. As he said, if you abide in my word, and my, my word abides in you. Right? If you abide in my word and my truth, then you will be true disciples. You will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. I see people being baptized in the name of Jesus and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this body. I see the manifested presence of the Holy Spirit in every gathering we have as people are being healed and set free from bondages and addictions. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, Can y'all finish that for me? There is freedom. Or in the King James Version, there is liberty. Right? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And just to honor the time and wrap up here, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom.
I see people young and old being transformed at the core of their being. And it being manifest that they are new creations in Jesus Christ. They are not what they used to be anymore. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I will finish in closing. I will just share this scripture verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The 17th and 18th verses. It says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Say transformed. Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you to stand. Hallelujah. There so much more I would have liked to have said, but I, I always trust God with this. <laughs> that what needed to be said was said. What God wanted said was said. I want to inspire you to live your life. With vision. See, vision always looks forward. Like Habakkuk, that vision gave him a picture of what would be in the future. And he said, though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will come, it will happen, and it will not delay. We talked about that in Bible study. That seems to be a contradiction. How can something that I have to tarry for also be something that will not delay? But our concept of time is not the same as God's. He, he, he is not bound by our concept of time, right? So he doesn't want us. He said, hey, this is going to happen, but it's going to happen in God's time. It won't happen too soon or it won't happen too late. It may happen later than you want it to happen, but even so, wait for it because it's going to happen. And it's going to happen at the exact time that God wants it to happen. Because in, in it happening in his timing, it's going to produce a result that's going to turn out for your good. And we have to trust God and remain in faith. We can't be focused on lamenting our past. We can't be stuck in whatever issues we got in the future. We have to look forward to the vision that God puts before us. And let that vision focus us in the middle of what we're going through. Let that vision bring us into restraints. 
so we don't cast off restraint. We make decisions in the now because of the vision that's in front of us. Not because of the emergency that we're currently facing. We're making decisions with an eye toward the vision that is before us. And maybe you need to do that for your personal life. Oh, forget the maybe. You need to do that for your personal life. You need to do that for your family. We need to do that in this ministry. And whatever ministry you have in this church, you need to do that for your ministry. Let's get in the habit of doing that. And let's engage God so that he can give us the vision that he has for us and we can be about the business of pursuing that vision. Because the people without vision cast off restraint, but vision keeps you locked in and focused. And so, and, and, and I am praying that for you. I am calling you to that, to do exactly that. I'm calling you to that standard. What does God have in store for you? What is God's vision for you? If you don't know it, then pursue him and engage him. And ask him to speak to you like he did Habakkuk. Ask him to speak to you like he spoke to Nehemiah. Nehemiah rebuilt the wall. Jerusalem lay in waste and ruins. And it started with him caring. He asked people who had come, just come from there. What's the state of things there? And they told him, and he's oh, his heart grieved, and he went to God in prayer. And he asked God for favor. As he had purpose in his heart, he was going to go to the king and ask for permission to rebuild the wall, to begin to restore what had been destroyed. And this may sound like a stretch to you, but trust me, it's not. But we have in our community a lot of walls that have been destroyed. A lot of lives that are lying in ruin. And like Nehemiah, all it will take for us is to care. What is the state of this community? What are the things that are, that, that, that are not prominently featured in the community? The holes that people are falling through. Where is the need? And then we take that to God when we find it out. God, how do we rebuild these walls? How do we restore lives? How do we help people in a way that gives hope? It restores their hope, their reason to, to keep keeping on. How do we help them in a way that lets them know that Jesus is the answer for them? So, so, this, so I, that's what I pray for you. Father God, I pray for your wonderful people this morning. I know their hearts. They love you, Lord. They want to be used by you, Lord. Sometimes the way we view ourselves, we view ourselves so negatively and we view ourselves in light of our shortcomings and, and, and we cause ourselves to limit how we think you can use us, what you can do with us. And Lord, I just pray for a removing of those limits in our minds because there is nothing that you cannot do. There's no vessel that you cannot use. Neither one of us here, in person or listening, 
online. Neither one of us are worthless. Neither one of us are useless to you. We are all of great treasure and import to you. And there is no limit to what you can do in us and through us. We just have to trust you because you can do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think. It's not about us. It's about you and what you can do. It's not about how we see ourselves or what, in whatever limited capacity we see ourselves. It's about the vision that you have for how you want to use us in this community. Lord, grip our hearts, quicken our hearts with your vision. With your vision for us. And how to effectively minister to this community and reach people with the gospel of Christ. I thank you, Lord, and give you glory and praise in Jesus' name.